Welcome to Undiscarded Stories of New York, a podcast brought to you by the City Reliquary Museum and Civic Organization in Brooklyn. Like with every episode of this series, today we're going to focus on a single object from the absolutely unique and wonderfully weird collection at the City Reliquary. Today's object is one that would be very easy to miss on a first visit, a single, very well-worn-out roller skate. It's normally suspended from the ceiling of the reliquary for people to see, but Jacob very kindly bought it down for us so we can look at it, touch it, and kind of observe it. Um, I'd say it's about a size 10, rather large uh, roller skate. I'm trying to figure out what color it originally was. I want to say white, but maybe it's light brown because it's definitely been through something, right? Oh, yeah, it's been used. (laughs) You can tell the wheels are scuffed and, you know, it's bright orange. Uh, What kind of skate is this, Eric? This is a rental skate. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sursa, uh, I would say the early 2000s, around that time period. And uh, it's seen a lot of use. That's the voice of Eric Alston. He's a native New Yorker and also is a famous pioneer in the world of roller skating for over 50 years. And the reason why I know it's newer, the plate is orange and uh, the type of boot that it has. Back in the day, it didn't look like that. It was a lot... uh, (laughs) It's a newer design. It's a newer design, absolutely. And uh, the color is light brown. We call them brownies. In fact, or some people say hush puppies. They have different names for them. But if you say brownies, they know you're talking about roller skates. Yeah, well, this brownie has been through it. You can see all the splotches. You can see some scratches and scuffing. A lot of people had fun with these skates. So um, what are we looking at here? Well, what we're looking at is someone's entry into a situation that they have no clue what they're about to be exposed to because when you put on a rental and you stand up on them, there are 12 independent actions taking place under your feet and you're immediately filled with a feeling of inadequacy because you have to control. It's like being on a wild colt, you know? (laughs) And so what we're looking at is the beginning of someone's journey. Now, some people, they take it on as a challenge. Some people get frightened and they never take another step further. Oh, they, they don't leave the carpet. They stay, they, they put them on, stand up, sit down, take them off. They have other people that come in and they not only accept the challenge, they start to become fascinated by it and they, they get hooked and they become lifetime skaters like myself. Eric is well known because of his association with the particular roller rink that was the home of our well-used skate. That rink is Brooklyn's Empire Rollerdrome. It's had a couple of other names over the years, such as the Empire Roller Disco and Empire Roller Skate Center. It was located across the street from Ebbets Field in Crown Heights and drew the most passionate skaters in the city from its opening in 1941 until it finally closed in 2007. Empire Rollerdrome, that's the original name. So my mother took me there the day before my fourth birthday, November 13th, 1966. And 1966. 1966. And mm-hmm. uh, they had organ music there. And you know, the biggest memory that I took from it was 
everybody was moving so fast. People say, you remember that? Clearly. And so my mother noticed I was fascinated and she took me every month. And as I got a little older, I started going every Saturday. And then by the time I was 10 years old, you know, she let me get on the bus and go with my older sister and my younger sister. And then my older sister didn't want to go anymore. So I said, I'll tell you what, I won't tell mom. You can go wherever you want. I'll go skating and meet you here when I'm done. And so I used to, I didn't take my younger sister. She had to take my younger sister with her wherever she went. But she didn't, my, my older sister didn't take to skating like I did. And so every Saturday, I would go by myself to Empire Rollerdrome. And I would have the time of my life each and every Saturday. And it was massive, right? It was yes. really big, about 36,000 square feet. Kind of describe for me what sort of people used to be coming to roller skate. Well, in the beginning, you have several distinct groups of people that come. First, you have families. So it's kids and parents bringing their kids. So then the next group is teenagers, the ones where you may not be old enough to drive, but you can go to the skating rink with your friends and be in your age group. And you know what happens? Uh, they create their own identity during that time. So then the next group of people was the adults. And those were the ones that probably came to what I call a pipeline. Child skater, spend your teen years in there and you really love it. And when you get old enough, you get a car. What's the first place you go? The skating rink. And they actually, they had uh, uh, groups there that would demonstrate skating. And their floor guards had to meet a certain standard. They go skate guards, floor guards, interchangeable term. What is a skate guard? A skate guard is a person, generally they wear a black and white striped shirt with a whistle that keeps the, like a, like a traffic cop. You keep the floor flowing, you look for dangers. If someone happens to fall or whatever, you make sure they don't get, you know, run over. And you generally help to create an environment of people continue to move and so you don't have tra traffic jams. We're in Brooklyn, the double park capital of the world. And you know how that impedes traffic, same yeah. thing. And so they would kind of perform, so to speak, for the people. And it gave you something to shoot for. Some parents can't skate and they're bringing their kids because it's something the kids want to do and they watch. And then some parents try to participate with their kids and they're scuffling and trying because they never really... Roller skating is a skill. Skills are learned. You have to invest time and effort and energy and into uh, mastering that skill. I've learned that motivation is internal, but inspiration is external. And children do what they see. Um, what was sort of like the atmosphere on the floor? Right. Were they people coming from other neighborhoods or was it mainly a Crown Heights scene? Did you see, you know, people from other communities? So the atmosphere was, there were people from all over because they, they had never seen anything like Empire. Empire was the first of its kind, but because they went to Empire, then other neighborhoods started having their version of a rink, but none of them had the spirit, the visual, the, the feel, the sound, the energy, the vibe that you got at Empire. It was a singular experience. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that time? Uh, what came out that really changed skating forever, it, it kind of jet-fueled it, was disco. Bill Butler, who was acknowledged as the godfather of roller disco, he coined the term uh, disco on wheels, and, that's the, and the term roller disco was formed. And uh, that's why they call Empire the birthplace of roller disco, because Bill, when he came to New York, he came to New York 
to see New York, but specifically to skate in Empire. And he came into Empire and he developed a style called the jamming technique. And you had to come to Empire to see Bill be Bill. He was like one of one. It was like he was dropped from the future here. Yeah, I see he has a couple of nicknames he's famous for. Brother Bounce, Mr. Charisma, The King, of course, Grandfather of Roller Disco. Godfather of Roller Disco. Godfather of Roller Disco. That's right, let's get it right now. Godfather, there you go. With all due respect, Godfather of Roller Disco. And, And see, what I could attest to is hearing about Bill and seeing him as a child, but meeting him formally in the summer of 1979 as someone who has spent a year doing the things that I saw people that, unbeknownst to me, were part of his troupe. He had a, uh, created a, a troupe called the um, a Creative Dance Skate, right? And uh, he trained them. He, you know, he gave them choreographed moves. He gave them the technique and they demonstrated it and exhibited it. And when they were in rinks, we were influenced by them. Remember, I said, children do what they see. I didn't know mm-hmm. I was executing a, a form of the technique. I was just emulating what I saw. I didn't know all the nuances and the technicalities and the names of the moves. I just know it looked cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I got to see Bill from a child's eye and then I got to walk side by side with him for a period of time. Uh, we would never be equals because he's the godfather of Roller Disco and all those other names were well earned. Those other nicknames they call him by. How old were you around then? Well, that summer I was 16, going to 17 in the summer of 1979. And that's when we were, like I came in formal contact with Bill. Other than that, I had seen him before, but I saw evidence of his work. There's a book that says, you can tell a tree by the fruity bears. So I now know all those great skaters that inspired me were inspired by Bill. They were trained by Bill, they were taught by Bill. That was what I gravitated toward, yeah. So there were quite a few evolutions in rinks around then. You know, firstly, you know, this music aspect of it, like you said, when you started, they used to have an organist. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of a big change to have this sort of piped in music. And I mean, how did that come about? The first time you heard, you know, these beats, how did it feel? Well, the, the organist kind of started becoming less prevalent in the earlier earlier part of the 70s. Uh, they still played, but it was more records. And again, that's due to Bill. He asked them, could he play a record over the sound system? And he did. He played Count Basie. Mm-hmm. And he did his thing. And he changed skating forever because now they started gravitating more towards records. And it gave far more depth and scope to the music that drove our movements. And in the 70s, once disco came, certain types of skating started elevating. And amongst it was partner skating or pairs or, you know, um, and then on slow records, they called couples, man and woman. Or, but pairs is, it could be two men, two women. It was, it was androgynous in that way. You know, at the time it was like unheard of, like two men or touching hands and skating, you're holding. We're not holding hands, we're sending signals to each other. Signals, it looks like two men holding hands to the uninitiated, but you know what? From the, in the 70s, because of disco with the hustle, it was a dance that you would do where you connected to your partner and you guide them. Skating was the same. So when Bill said roller disco, it kind of fused the two together. And then the music pushed skating to a different place. And 
Obviously, when you get uh, well-known people, celebrities, share, uh, uh, you know, I heard. Cher, yeah, I, you know, I was gonna mention her by name, but once Cher came, it was like Cher skates. She was the hottest thing on Hunt, Sonny Bono. I got you, babe, and all this <laughs> stuff. So it was like the bigger names in the world were starting to gravitate towards skating, and guess where they all wanted to come? Empire. It's interesting. As you dig into the history of roller skating in the 20th century, especially as it pertains to Black communities, you learn that it played a much larger and more important role than expected. I feel like I recall seeing a video talking about civil rights and roller skating. Mm -hmm. Do you think you could tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. First of all, I'd like to say this. Mm-hmm. With all due respect, the man sitting across the table from you, I have two sisters that I grew up with. My father had another daughter, so she falls into this category as well because she's uh, a year older than me. My younger sister was born July 31st, 1964. The Voting Rights Act was enacted. It was activated in August of 1965. No one in my immediate family was born with all their rights. Wow. So, with all due respect, do I understand where skating stands in the civil rights spectrum or, you know, anything along the Roller skating was part of the civil rights movement before Rosa Parks. In 1952, in a rink called the Arcadia in Detroit, they built a rink in the air quote, hood, but they didn't allow blacks to go there. And you know what they did? They picketed. They went through the dogs and the water hoses, getting arrested, heads busted open. And then the owner understood they were affecting another color, green, his money. So you know what he did? He acquiesced and said, or oh, oh, he capitulated. He said, you know what? I'll give you guys Sunday night. Why did he give Sunday night? Because the rink was closed. Everybody's home getting ready for work. You guys can have Sunday night. And it had a title called Black Night. Black I- Culture Night, Soul Night, <laughs> r At that time, I don't think it had any title. Mm-hmm. They probably didn't even advertise. They were letting blacks in there. Mm-hmm. But what happened was they came out in such large numbers with such energy and zest and creativity and consistency within a year. There were six black nights and one white one. I mean, there's no other way to say it because, you know, and it's no, it's no knock on anybody. Most people want to be around people that look like them and sound like them and think like them. So it's okay. It's, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do about what happens to you. It's not what you do. It's how you do it. The methods that they took to suppress what others were doing comes from lack. It's like, if you get some, it's less for me. No, it's enough for everybody. We can coexist. We can get along. We never tell them they can't come in the sessions we have. Where all, Like what you said, Empire was a, was a, a melting pot of welcoming wagon, all races, all. And there's, there's a way that we conduct ourselves in the ring. See, here's the thing. Wherever you were outside, once you cross the threshold of a ring, you are a skater. There's no big eyes and little U's. We're all in here and we have an equal right to come in and leave our cares and worries and concerns at the door and come in and address the child within. It was beyond magical. And you know what? It it was not only the birthplace of roller disco, it's also where some people go to the Himalayan mountains to, you know, seek peace and serenity. I found it right at Empire. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I know for you, Empire, there's like a familial connection, yes. a generational collection. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I mean, we need a whole other podcast for that, but <laughs> I can share this with you. I came in as a child skater. 
I came back to Empire as a teenager who was allowed to come to adult sessions. I, I was granted access. But I would tell you, you cannot tell the story of Empire without talking about three people. You have to talk about Bill Butler, you have to talk about Big Bob, and you have to talk about Gloria. Tell me about them. What were their roles? Uh, well, Gloria was the owner. Mm-hmm. She ran the place. Bob was the preeminent DJ for over 25 years in Empire, from 1983 when they opened up the back floor until its closing. And Gloria and Bob created a bond where it was like, you know, Bob's mother had died, and she was like a mother figure to him. But they were business partners, and she understood Bob's role spiritually in skating. Once it closed upon Gloria's death, Bob went with another gentleman, and they went to 40 different lending institutions to try to keep Empire open as a skating rink upon Gloria's death until they finally partnered up with another entity. It was closed for 16 months, and it reopened. April Fool's Day of 2000, no no, uh, announcements, no word of mouth. We got 600 people to come in because they couldn't wait to get back into their home. And it was different. Uh, Another entity had taken it over because, you know, it it cost money to run a rink. And they renovated a bit and they removed some of the artifacts that made Empire Empire. But they kept enough of the field that we came in and we filled it with spirit again. It was different, but the point was that when it reopened, you had to enlist the help of certain people to kind of get it up and running. And I was one of those people. And I became the manager of Empire. It was a calling for us, a purpose. It wasn't a job. So when they asked me to come participate, I trained all the floor guards. So we have a certain level of control in the floor because it was a new generation of people coming in. And then... Um, they had these turnaround times for sessions because they wanted to maximize their, their investment, the real estate. So we didn't have enough staff for that. But I was creative. It, what I would do, I would get, I had like 20 young men, African-American men, and I would take five at a time. And if they helped me put the rent skates away and clean the place up, they could skate the next session for free. So let's just say- Almost like a skate internship. A skate internship. <laughs> and you know- those young guys, they called them rink rats. They hung around the rink all the time because they wanted to get it. They just wanted to skate. And what stopped them from coming in? Money. I made a way where they can come in. They got a chance to engage in their passion. Number two, they got a chance to engage in their, um, raising their skills up so that they could one day become a floor guard. And then number three, while they were in there, they weren't getting shot, arrested, having children, using drugs, selling drugs, because they had a standard they had to meet. And now we buy pizza and we have pizza parties but it came at a cost. Here was the cost. When the report cards came out for school, can't be failing any classes. You can't get in fights here. You, you can't be involved in drama or you're not part of this circle. So it was obtainable and identified criteria, but it was fair. Because mm-hmm. if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And guess who was not only the gatekeeper, but who embodied that standard? Yeah, the guy sitting in front of you. I came from the same streets they came from. I did a lot of the things that they were doing, but I elevated from that. I evolved. I transformed. All of those guys, all of them, have gone on and made something of themselves. Careers, families, involved in real estate. Uh, One, uh, Mahaja Turner, he actually was a stunt double for Sweetness in the movie Roll Bounce. Mm -hmm. 
Roll Bounce, I think, was an, inspired by all the roller disco uh, stuff was. happening at Empire. Uh, I'll give you a little secret. I, I told somebody this the other day, but I'll share it now. Roll Bounce was my story. Really? I got to rewatch it now. When Empire closed its doors for good in 2007, it was truly the end of an era. So there's a direct line and there was a direct hit when this shut down. Yes. Where did all those people go? A lot of them just, they don't skate anymore. They had a place they called Crazy Legs or Brooklyn Skates that they uh, found a, a gym and it had a wooden floor and they made it into a home. And it kept certain people skating, but it was, it's like once you're used to riding in a car, riding your bike, it may be good for you, but it's not the same experience. That's because, unfortunately, Empire was one of the last great New York City roller rinks, and it was not the only one. At the height of the roller disco craze in the late 70s and early 80s, there were dozens. But by 2006 and 2007, some of the most beloved rinks like the Roxy in downtown Manhattan and Skate Key up in the Bronx had all closed their doors. There were 28 rinks open simultaneously in New York at one time. I skated at all of them regularly. And Big Bar played in 24 of them. Rinks that a lot of people never even heard of. Metropolis and Rooftop and I can go on and on. And uh, Sweet Rubies and the thing that I'm, uh, Eclipse, mm -hmm. you know, uh, over here on Atlantic Avenue. And the thing is, all those rinks closed. There's no rinks open in the five boroughs except in Staten Island, Roller Jam. And that came along later. Back Go in ahead. 2006, 2007. I'm talking about right now. Oh. There's only one rink open in the five boroughs. Really? I thought they were doing all these small rinks. They're, no, like... they do, they're doing spaces we skate in. They're not rinks. Ah. Oh. So, you know, some like they have to go to from right where we're at to go to Roller Jam, which is the only rink left in the five boroughs currently. That's like driving to Philly. It's almost a two-hour trip, and it's expensive. The Verrazano is, what, 20 bucks, 22 bucks? I don't know how much it is now. And gas is high. And Why do you think they all closed? So they closed because, largely because of zoning. So zoning was a straight business move. But at a certain point, when you put money before people, we see the results all throughout society. Yeah, I heard when um, Empire shut down, there were protests. There were people, I saw this documentary, there were people crying outside. People We who lost like, our home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For some people, it was more emotional than losing a family member because of what it meant. Let me, let me give you, let me, let me share this with you, my mother. She was born in 1937, right? In 1941, the year of Empire's opening, she was approaching her fourth birthday. My mother's mother died when she was two and a half. And back then, the father didn't raise children. Her brother was months old. They sent the children to the oldest female relative that was stable that could raise the kids. You know, and they took... So her youngest sister, my aunt, her name's Aunt Babe. She's my great aunt, raised my mother. So she was approaching her fourth birthday. So she wanted to do something special for her. And she lived a few blocks from Ebbets Field. She was going to take her to see... Well, you can't see a game in November. Mm -hmm. So they had this rink across the street, Empire. She went over there. Black woman, 
going over the empire, 1941. This was 14 years before Rosa Parks. The Voting Rights Act, listen, was enacted in 1965. So that's a quarter century before we even had our rights. And she inquired about, do you do anything for families here? And they were like, you know, we have family sessions or whatever. She said, I'd like to bring my grandniece. Her mother passed. And I want to do something special for her for her birthday. She said, her mother passed. She'll be how old for? They gave her complimentary passes. My mother went to Empire for her fourth birthday. She took me on my birthday. So I went for my fourth birthday. My son will be 34 July of this year. He's been married March 28th will be eight years. My granddaughter will be seven years old, June 12th. Here's what I'm going to share with you. I took him to Empire for his fourth birthday. My daughters came later. They're born 10 months apart, February 10th and December 12th, 2003. In February of 2007, had a party for my daughter and both of them were there. Empire closed April of 2007. Wow. This is personal. It's in your blood. It's in my blood, but it's personal. I understand. They say that it's a thing a son never forgets. I'm aware of who I am in the village. I know what my purpose is. My, Mark Twain said, the two greatest days of your life, the day you're born and the day you figure out why. My why, my purpose, my passion, the mission I will be on for the rest of my breathing time on this earth is to help shorten people's learning curve so more people can find a place like this. And you know what the pandemic showed us? People were skating in their living room, in the kitchen, in the backyard, in gyms, in office spaces. And it showed us you can skate anywhere. Yes, the experience in the rink is premium, but everybody's not eating at Mr. Chow's. <laughs> Some of us go to Chick-fil-A. You know what I'm saying? So that's what skating became. People started being creative and inventive. And the outdoor And the outdoor element shot through the roof. Because in California, they always skated outside. Venice Beach. So the, the spaces that you speak of, the pandemic inspired that. Because people started thinking, they closed the rinks, but they can't take skating from in our hearts and in our spirits. So now, we skate, people are skating everywhere. Yeah, there's a one at the TW Hotel, yeah. right in JFK, yes. Rockefeller Center. Rockefeller Center, when mm -hmm. Flippers, where they have the tree with, in Christmas time, this summer they put a skating rink there, yeah. Oasis in Central Oasis Park. In Central, Central Park, Park has always yeah. had skaters. Yeah, they have, and so uh, Chelsea Piers, I can go on. So, uh, at the end of the day, skating is here to stay, it just looks different, it's been, remixed, if you will, you know, it's like the upgrade, like with your phone, they have upgrades, you know, so we, we have upgrades now. And how does that make you feel? It makes me feel grateful that I'm here to witness it. And then I'm on the front row and I get a chance to help them understand that they have the baton. And, and we're just looking for people that are looking, that are one, it's an all volunteer army because all compensation is not financial. I've been rewarded in ways I can't begin to tell you have enriched my life beyond uh, description. And I have an excellent command in the English language. I, the words escape me to explain how grateful I am to skating. I, my allegiance is to skating, not a promoter, not a rink. You know, it's to skating. 
And you know what? I'm doing, it's, it's doing me well. Mm-hmm. It's doing me well. This has been Undiscarded, Stories of New York, a podcast brought to you by the City Reliquary Museum and Civic Organization in Brooklyn, New York, in partnership with Citizen Racecar. My name is Tanya Muhammad, and I produce this show in collaboration with David Hoffman, who edits the stories. Post-production and original music by Jose Miguel Baez. Contributing producer, Jacob Ford. Production manager, Gabriela Montequin. Outreach manager, Sarah Shalantano. Eric Alston is still spreading the gospel of roller skating around the world. And when he isn't, he manages the Atlanta-based Cascade Dream Team, the official team of the popular Cascade Skating Rink. Their website is www.cascadeskating.com. If you want to really get a feel for the mood and the vibe at Empire, check out the current exhibition in the gallery at the Ace Hotel in Brooklyn at 252 Shimmerhorn Street. The exhibit is titled Empire Roller Disco and features photographs by the famous street photographer Patrick D. Pugnano. It's presented by Anthology Editions, which also has a book available for purchase with the same name. The exhibit will be on display till July 29th. For more information, head to the goings-on section at acehotel.com slash Brooklyn. To learn more about the artifact in this episode, check out undiscarded.org and be sure to follow at City Reliquary on Instagram for facts and pictures. Head to cityreliquary.org to hear about the museum's mission, exhibits, and events. If you enjoyed this episode of Undiscarded, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and help spread the word. There are so many more stories to tell.